Welcome to this Thursday night service, meeting, presentation, you choose the word you like. I'm very pleased to see you. I always am. Let me tell you again, I thought of you all day today. You were on my mind. That's my way of saying I missed you. Did anyone miss me a little bit? Oh, all right, a little bit. That's fine. That's fine. Things will improve from there. We can start with a little bit tonight. Now, all those of you who are here for the first time tonight, please raise your hands. Let me see you. All right, my good brother. Okay, we have several hands. And as usual, those of you who've been coming every time so far, let me see your hands. All right, yes, I have been here every time so far. And I have been blessed to see you. Now, I have a special friend. I don't see her. Is Essie here? Is she here? No, she's not. All right. Okay. Maybe she'll come in a little later. But God bless us all as we take a practical look at what it is he has for us to do. Let us bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I ask you with all my heart, grant to me the words to speak. Take possession of my mind. Give me the words as you gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 4 verse 12. And open the hearts and the minds of my brothers and sisters, dear God, that the spoken word may be the word received, and that living word may transform lives. I offer this prayer from my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Our subject for tonight, what does God want for you? What is it God wants for us? When I was a little boy in school, my mother would always tell me and my father, mostly my mother, that she did not benefit from too much education, but she was determined that her children would be educated and would enjoy the advantages she never had. And God bless my mother all the days of her life, she's still alive. My father who passed, he had the same kind of mentality. I think he dropped out of school when he was 14. Very intelligent man, but not formally educated. He was determined that his children would receive the education he never had. And many parents have that ambition for their children. We did not have the benefit of advanced education, but we want you to receive it. So we are sacrificing for you. We work two jobs. We give up the pleasures of life, the luxuries of life, in order that we might fund your education. We have an ambition for you to make something of your life. And perhaps there are parents listening to me now who can identify with what I'm saying. You have something in mind for your children. You want them to have a better life than the life you had. The question is, what does God want for us? What God wants for us is something, sadly, that most of us do not appreciate and sometimes do not even understand. Let us go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 
We shall read verses 3 and 4 of Ephesians 1 as we continue. What does God want for us? What kind of life does God have in mind for us? Ephesians chapter 1, reading from verse 3. And of course, who wrote Ephesians? Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now verse 4 says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world or from the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That verse tells us that way before Jesus came, God had a plan. God had an ambition for us that through Christ, we could be holy and without blame before God. Do you understand what without blame means? Now, I want you to try to think differently from the way we normally think. The word, the expression without blame means without fault. Now, for some of you, perhaps most of you, this sounds impossible. How can a human being live without fault? Listen to me. God's desire for you and for me is that we live lives without fault and without blame. That's what the Bible says. Let us go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, reading verse 13. As we continue, what does God want for us? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Of course, Thessalonians written by whom? The Apostle Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says, But we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning, how far back? From the beginning chosen you unto salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Here we have a similar verse. It has always been God's desire for us that we would be saved. Now, being saved doesn't simply mean living your life on your knees. Being saved means you live a certain kind of life, a powerful life, a victorious life, the life of an overcomer, a life not beset and plagued by one addiction after the other, a life not plagued by immorality, a life lived above the moral mess of this world. God says, that's the life I have in mind for you. And I have that in mind from the beginning. Because children of God ought to live like God. When Princess Diana died, was it 96, 97? Time flies so quickly. Almost 10 years. I watched the funeral on television. And I saw her two sons, William and, don't remember the other gentleman's name. Who was the other name? Harry. Harry, brother Harry. William and Harry. As they were in the funeral procession, if I recall correctly, they were walking, hands behind their backs, or coming at their sides, just walking, cameraman was about to move, just walking, following the funeral procession. 
Now, looking at them, you would not assume the person in the casket was their mother. They were too cool, too calm, too poor. Now, I've been to funerals where people were ready to jump into the grave because they were grieving and they were falling out and fainting and screaming and crying and carrying on, as we say. These two young men, hands behind their backs, and they were just walking very calmly in the funeral procession of their mother. Now, why were they walking like that? Why were they conducting themselves that way? Because they are princes. And a prince does not conduct himself at a funeral the way I would. Are you with me? And don't smile too quickly the way you might. A prince must preserve his dignity under all circumstances. Why? Because in his veins flows what kind of blood? Royal blood. When a man or a woman becomes a child of God, what kind of blood flows in that person's veins? Royal blood. Come on, say amen. And God says, when royal blood flows in your veins, I want you to live a different kind of life. You're a prince. You're my son. You're a princess. You're my daughter. The life I have for you is up here. The rest of the world can live it down there, but I'd love to get them up here as well. Because my son died for all. What does God have in mind for you? A life lived like Jesus Christ. I'll ask you a question, but don't answer me. Are you satisfied with the life you live now? Don't answer me. Are you frustrated with the life you're living? One defeat after another. One problem after another. 24 hours of no self-esteem. That's not what God had in mind. God's original intention, which has not changed, is that you and I would live lives at a level that would cause the rest of the world to look up to find us. That doesn't mean living in a big house. It means living a life of moral uprightness that is a reflection of the life of Jesus Christ when he walked this earth. It was never God's intention you lived the life of a drunkard. It was not the intention of God and still remains not his desire for you that you live a life of an addict, that you live a life of a prostitute, that you live a life of, a, of someone who mugs and kills and steals that's not god's desire for you god's desire for you is a life that is an example to men and angels and the world needs more lives like that and too many of these messed up lives are in the church and so it makes no sense to come to the church because in the church the lives are no different from the lives in the world and it makes god look bad but god's desire i repeat is that your life and mine be upright lives. Whether we're millionaires or we're paupers, morally, spiritually, when it comes to standards, we are upright as a telephone pole. Lives change. Not worldly lives, but spiritual lives. 
A spiritual life is not a life where you have no concern for this world, where you're always praying and singing. Mm, you've got to go to work. You've got to play. You've got to eat. You've got to exercise. But you do it as a child of God. What does God want for you? A life of victory. A life free from bondage. A life free from the domination of the devil. A life free from sins that beset you and me. How does that happen? How does that happen? Because there have been people who have lived that kind of life. Enoch lived that life and his life was so close to God, God said, Enoch, come. And God took him to heaven. Moses lived a sterling life. He made a couple of mistakes, yes. But his life was such a powerful life that God raised him up and took him to heaven. Elijah lived a powerful spiritual life. God took him up in a chariot. There are three people in heaven. Moses, Enoch, Elijah, and they had a nature just like yours. But God considered them fit for heaven. You didn't get it. This side got it, but the rest of you didn't get it. Let me say that again. The only reason why Enoch, Elijah, and Moses are in heaven, God considered them fit for heaven. Let me say differently, the life God desires you to live is a life that is fit for angels to hang out with you, which is what Elijah, Enoch, and Moses are enjoying now. The society and the company of angels. That's his wish for you and your children. But you look at this world. And you wonder, who planned this world? The devil? Go with me to Psalm 8. As we continue, what does God want for you? Psalm 8. The 8th Psalm. How many chapters in Psalms? 150. Number 8. Verse 3. Here's David speaking. Do we have that? Psalm 8, verse 3. Keeping my eyes on the time. David says, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? David said, Lord, when I look up in the sky and I see the sun, I see the moon, I see the evidences of your power, why do you seem to waste time with these sinners? Then David himself gives the answer. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. <laughs> Whoever is saying amen, come back every night, sister. I need you. <laughs> I, I need you. For, did you hear what the Bible says? When God originally made Adam and Eve, who would produce the rest of the human population, his desire was their lives would be only little below angels. Do you know how powerful an angel is? One angel came down, Matthew 28, verse 2. There was an earthquake. One. Angels are wise. They're powerful. They're strong. God said, this new species calls human beings. I want them to live a life of excellence just below the angels. We live today just below the demons. That's how we live if you look around. It's as if the human population lives the life just below 
demons. And God's desire was, live your life just below angels. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory. That glory is the character of God. I'm moving, cameraman, I'm moving, camera woman, camera persons. Let me hold the word. The only security I have. I want you to trust me. Not one amen. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> I want you to trust me. As long as I am holding on to this. Listen to me. God's will for you is that you live a life without sin. Go ahead, laugh at me. I'm waiting. There's a saying, you've heard it, I've heard it. If you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Now, this is where faith comes in. The Bible says in Jude 24, 25, Now unto him that is able to keep you from what? You answer me, is God able or is he not? He's able. To keep us from what? What does falling mean? And to present us how? Faultless. Go ahead, look surprised, look stunned, look shocked. It's okay. You're making room for the reception of truth that is uncommonly heard. Too many people preach, well, God is satisfied if you sin a little bit. The Bible never teaches that. When that woman caught in adultery came to Christ in John 8, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? He said, I have none, Lord. He said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and commit smaller sins. Go and sin less frequently. Go and sin once every six months. What did Jesus say? Go and sin no more. That's the life God has in mind for you and for me. But too many Christians believe that is impossible. Now, if you think that's impossible, you tell me, which sin will God allow into heaven? How many sins did Adam commit that got him thrown out? One. How many sins can keep you out of the kingdom? One. The one you won't give up. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. God thought so highly of Adam and Eve and those who would come from them. He put them in charge of his created or his creation. In a sense, asking them to function like God. God is in charge of the entire universe. Adam, you're in charge of the earth. Report to me. And yet, if you look at us, we have so many problems. 
it is as if God whom we serve is weak. Let me tell you something. The power of God is seen in the power of the lives his people live. The question remains, if this is what God has in mind for me, a life of victory, a life of holiness, he chose me to be holy and without blame, Ephesians 1, 4, how? In this thing called salvation, there are two participants, God and we. Two subjects in this. Yet we cannot save ourselves. Did you hear me say that? We cannot save ourselves. Did I say that? Did you also hear me say now that God cannot save us without our permission? Did you hear that? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now when God did that, he did not need your permission nor mine. God needs no permission to be kind. He said, look, the only way this world can be saved if it sins is if I send my son. So I'll send him. I don't need their permission to do that. I will send him whether they like it or not. I'll send him. But I cannot save them unless or until they respond to the gift I have given. So if you read John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth. And belief is not just what goes on here. Belief is what, how you respond with your life. Now, let's go to Genesis 2. My favorite book. As we continue, what does God want for us? Genesis chapter 2. And see the arrangement that God has always had in mind. Genesis chapter 2, reading verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, look at how man was made. He was formed from the dust of the ground. Part of us is from beneath. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Where did that come from? Above. Now, could God have made man entirely from beneath? Yes or no? Yes, because God is God. But somehow, God has put the message into the way he made us. And the message is, you are made up of something from beneath. And something from above. And the way I want you to function is in cooperation with me. The life comes from above. The physical comes from beneath. At death, according to Ecclesiastes 12.7, the physical goes back to dust. The life goes back to God. Life as God intended is a cooperation between heaven and earth. Between you and God. To live life differently is to live life contrary to God's plan. Now, let's see that principle of heaven and earth working together. Genesis chapter 1 verse 14. Genesis 1 verse 14. 
we have that? And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Now, look at the creation of the heavenly bodies that give light. The sun, the moon, the stars. Are you with me? Anyone sleeping? Someone next to you sleeping. I want you to bump that person accidentally and wake that person up. Because the devil can't have you miss what you need to hear. God made the sun, moon, and stars to divide the day from the night, to be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and to give light upon the earth. Now let's focus on this purpose, to give light upon the earth. Could God, in making the earth, have put on the earth all the sources of light? Could he have placed them on the earth? Yes. Where did he place them? In the sky. So that for the earth to receive light, it has to depend on heaven. I get the impression you're not understanding me and it's my fault. Let me try it again. When a thick cloud covers the sun, what happens? Darkness. When a sandstorm that's really thick, what, ha what happens? Comes across the sun, day turns to night. On a very cloudy night, you do not see what? Stars, northern, and it is dark. The earth depends for light outside of itself. Now light is also life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Light is life. You shut out the sun and what would grow here? Nothing. The point I am making, in creation, God has built in a principle. And the principle is, earth must depend on heaven. Heaven plays its part, earth plays its part. And the combination of the two is exactly God's original intention. Things run beautifully when heaven does its part and earth does its part. What does that have to do with what God has in mind for you? Here's what it has to do. God will never save you against your will. All those who go to hell will go there by choice. You don't go to hell because you misread the road signs for heaven. And you don't get to heaven because you misread the road signs for hell. You go to hell by choice, we go to heaven by choice. You understand that? Choice. Now, there are two words I want you to keep in mind as we continue. What does God want for you? One word is conditions. The other word is cause. Say those words with me. What's the first word? What's the second word? Conditions and cause. Read John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That had no condition. There's nothing we had to do. That plan was made before we were made. God's love and the expression of his love, the gift of his son, it had no condition. But here comes the condition. That whosoever believeth shall not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Which means that the fact that God just gave Jesus doesn't save you. A lot of people run to churches and they sing and they make a lot of noise. Jesus died for me, that's it. That's not it. Jesus did what he had to do. Now you've got to do what you've got to do. Because it is condition and cause. Heaven's part, your part. Salvation is the result of cooperation between man and God. Let me reverse that God and man. Now, you heard of these meetings. And you wanted to hear the message tonight. What did you do? You came. That's the condition for hearing this message. But your coming is not the message. Are you listening to me? Are you sure you got it? I, I don't know why I feel this side keeps getting it. Maybe it's because of my sister. I'm not sure this side gets it at all. Let me stand on this side. Perhaps you'll get it if I come close to you. Let me say it again. Listen to me. Let me hold God's word. I'm naked without it. Come on, say amen for God's word. I love it. My favorite book. There's one lady who wrote a book. She said, the Bible is more important than all other books combined. And I believe her. You heard of freedom from fear. You were invited tonight. You wanted to hear the message. You had to fulfill a condition. The condition was, come. Am I right? So you're here. Now, could I have decided, I don't feel like preaching and I could have gone home. Could I have done that? Yes. So your coming is not preaching. Your coming is what you can do. The preaching is up to home, to me. The preaching is the cause. Your coming is the condition. Another example, if I were to drop down with a heart attack now, please say God forbid. Why did I have to ask you to say that? If I fell down with a heart attack now, someone would call the ambulance while the medical staff right here would try to stabilize me. And the ambulance would come and do what? Take me to the hospital where I would be worked upon, hopefully, by a skilled cardiologist. Now, the ride to the hospital is not medical intervention as relates to someone working on my heart. But it is the condition I need to get there. Now, having gotten there by then the cardiologist works on me. But the cardiologist can decide, no, I don't like that guy. I'm not working on him. So my getting there is not cardiological intervention, if there's such a word. My getting there is me fulfilling the condition. You want to be safe? Come to the hospital. That's condition. Then the hospital doctor says, let me save you. Because you fulfill the condition. And by fulfilling the condition, you have let me know you are serious. Now God says, I was serious. You don't send your only son if you're funny being, if you're not serious. God said, look, I am serious. Let me prove it. I'm sending my son. Now, show me how serious you are. Huh? So you say, Lord, save me. I want to live that life you have in mind for me. And God says, are you serious? We say, yes. God says, show me. And if you're serious, you say, Lord, I've got to stop hanging out with people who smoke dope. 
Lord, I am moving from California to Michigan, where the preacher is from. <laughs> I've got to show you I'm serious. Lord, I will stop going to that club. I'll stay out of that casino. You can do that. God will never grab you by the collar and take you out of a casino. Let God see you mean business. So, ah, this woman is serious. No, I'm not wasting my son's life on someone who's just joking. Show me you're serious. Marry that man you're living with. Stop ripping people off and come to me. Show me you want a different life. Fulfill the conditions and see how fast I operationalize the cause which is my salvation. To be saved, you have a part. God has a part. Your part is not God's part. That's why there's no such thing as salvation by works. What you do is an expression of faith in God's ability to save you. Yes, sister. God has in mind for you a life above sin. And that can begin tonight. Don't go home and think about it. Act tonight. So, Lord, I heard this message. When I heard the message, I looked at the message, looked at my life. I need a change in my life. Or the next message I hear will be as a corpse at my funeral. Conditions and causes. Let me give the word conditions another term, a synonym. What is a synonym? One word says the same thing as another. So if you say, I am tall, you say, I'm lanky, same thing. A synonym for conditions, as this sermon goes, is obedience. I want more amens for obedience. Come on. You know it was disobedience that put Adam out. Do you know that? If disobedience puts you out, use your common sense. Come on, think. If disobedience puts you out, what gets you in? Obedience. With divine help. Now, Adam needed no help to disobey. We need help to obey. God says, bring me a heart that wants to obey. And I'll put the life of my son in that heart. Conditions and causes. And that arrangement between heaven and earth, the conditions come from earth, the cause comes from heaven, is seen from Genesis to Revelation. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, the chapter where Cain kills his brother. First murder. The devil didn't wait long. Genesis chapter 4. Let's read from verse 3. As we continue, what does God have in mind for you? Genesis chapter 4, reading from verse 3. 
And it came, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very rough and his countenance fell. Now, here's Cain. Here's Abel. Cain brings an offering first. But he's mentioned first. Fruit. Here comes Abel, a lamb. The Bible is so balanced. The Bible says, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, both. You see, your offering is useless if you're not accepted. Come on, talk to me. <laughs> In the world, you can be as immoral as you like. But if you're a good accountant, you get hired. Are you with me? You're a good mechanic. Your character is not that important. For God, your character comes first. So holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible was written not by men who had degrees, men who had the Holy Ghost. Who you are is important in God's eyes regarding what you do. And so the Bible says, God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, very balanced, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. His countenance fell. Now listen to God. Verse 6. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If, say that word, if, if introduces what? A condition. No one is going to accuse God of being unfair. Mm -mm. And he's not taking it. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? What God is saying, look, Cain, I didn't accept Abel because he's better looking than you. I accepted Abel because he did what I wanted him to do. And if you do that, I'll accept you. It's automatic. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Abel fulfilled the conditions. God accepted him. And God says to Cain, look, I am a fair God. If you do what he did, I will accept you. I don't care your color. I don't care the size of your bank account. I don't care if your mother was Mary Magdalene before she lost the seven demons. I just don't care. You do what I say, and I'll accept you the way I accepted Abel. The condition for God's salvation, the condition for God's finest blessings is obedience. Do what I say. So in John 3.16, the verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now here comes the obedience part. That whosoever... Now those who believe, they obey. The Bible says believe. When you believe, you obey. You didn't get it again? The verse says, if you, if you believe, I'll save you. When we believe, it is an act of obedience. When Adam, before he was thrown out with his wife, you know what God asked Adam? Genesis 3, verse 10, I believe it is, 10 and 11. Or 11. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Hast thou eaten? In other words, did you disobey? Of which I commanded thee, whereof I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat. 
Did you disobey? Listen to me, my beloved brothers and sisters. What is this God has in mind for you and me? A powerful life, a victorious life, an overcomer's life that stands on the foundation stone of obedience from the heart. But you see, we are born with a nature that doesn't like to obey. Are you following me? Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Go there with me. I'm running out of time. Romans 8 verse 7. Obedience is a condition of salvation. But we hate to obey. Is our case lost? No, it's not. Romans 8 verse 7. The Bible says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We mentioned this on Tuesday when we talked to the subject, poor Satan. If my mind naturally cannot obey, and obedience is a condition of salvation, I am up a creek without a paddle. You may not all know that expression. I'm in trouble, you know that one. Let me say it again, differently. If I am drowning and a boat comes by and tosses me a, what is those things they toss you, a tire? A what? Whatever it is. Life-saving thing. And the guy who tosses it, that's God, says, catch that. I'll pull you to safety. Then the guy says, but I don't have any arms. I don't have any arms. I'm a double amputee. I can't catch I am unable to catch it because of the way I'm made. Are you following me? Now the Bible says the human mind cannot obey God. And yet God says to, obey, to be saved you have to obey me. Then God has to do something. He has to do something. You see in the plan of salvation even though you have your part and God has his, God does more. Come on, say amen. <laughs> if God doesn't do more, we're in trouble. It can't be 50% God, 50% us. It is 99% God, 1% us. Our 1% is obedience. God says, look, I know you have a mind that cannot obey. The way a crab cannot walk forward. No matter how much it wants to, it has to walk sideways. That's where you're born. God says, now, if you come to me, Obediently, I will now give you a heart that loves to obey. Huh? So that you can say with Jesus, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart, and I obey with joy. I will give you a heart that loves to obey. And that heart is the life of Christ. I said that heart is the life of Christ. Thank you, Father. I love God. I love Jesus. Love the Holy Ghost. Love the guardian angel standing right here. I can't see him, but I know he's there. God says, I will give you a heart of flesh. Which really is the life of Christ placed in that heart. Now you've got two powers at work in you. 
One says, don't obey. The other says, there's power to obey. Amen. Now you choose. Choose. You see, the fundamental choice for every person is obey or disobey. That's it. And so as in Genesis 3, verse 11, God says, Hast thou eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat of it? In Revelation 22, 14, the very last chapter, the Bible says those who obey, they are given the right to go to that tree from which Adam was driven because of his disobedience. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Lord. God gives us an obedient heart in the life of Jesus Christ, which is brought to us by the Holy Ghost. Because it was by the power of the Holy Ghost, Jesus obeyed. So Jesus could say in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of God is upon me. He hath anointed me. We can read in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and with the Holy Ghost. What I'm saying is, the power by which Jesus lived an obedient life is the power by which you and I can live an obedient life. The key is, will we give that heart to God and say, Lord, put the life of Jesus in me. I am tired of my life. I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of a guilty conscience. I'm tired of hurting people by my example. I'm tired of living a hopeless life, always all like a merry-go-round, not going anywhere. Just spinning, spinning, spinning. The way I am today is where I was five years ago. I am tired. I want some progress in my life. God says, I've got it for you. Amen. I have had it from eternity. It's not my fault you don't have a better life. It's your fault, says God. Because you won't come to me in obedience. You know what Jesus said when the devil came to him, temptation number one, Matthew 4, verse 4, but he answered and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but how? By every word. In other words, Christ is saying, man shall live obediently. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer me, but think. Don't answer me this time, but think. How willing are you to live obedient lives for God? Just think. How willing are you? You know, most people who go to church don't obey God. In John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. When Jesus came to Nicodemus, the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, we read in verse 1, was a ruler of the Jews. Rulers of the Jews were spiritual leaders. Jesus is talking to a leader of the church and he tells him, you need to be born again. How many church members are listening to me? You need to be born again. I'm not joking. You think church membership saves you? It is Jesus' membership that saves. Yes, Jesus has a church. Don't get me wrong. But it begins with surrender to Christ. I cannot save myself. I cannot obey in my own power. 
Because my mind is naturally disobedient. I need help from above. But what I can do is to let you know how serious I am. So I'm going to start reading your word. I'm going to try with your power to put away those bad habits I've had all these years. I'm going to call a friend of mine whom I know is a spiritual person, have that person pray for me. I'm going to go to an AA meeting, conquer this alcohol problem with prayer and something practical I can do. I'm going to take a stop smoking class. Lord, I am serious. And God says, my child, let me show you how serious I am. I'll change your heart. Thank you for the permission to change your heart. And then that moment you give everything to Christ. You become a full-blooded prince of heaven. A full-blooded princess of heaven. With all the privileges that come with it. And so when that prodigal son came back, the Bible says the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. That's the righteousness of Christ. What kind of robe? The best. That's what Jesus has in mind for you. The best. You're a single woman? Jesus has the best man for you. But you won't find that man by joining Ebony Matchmaker. Or uh, Harmony.com. Or uh, Catchaman.com. Mm. You find that man by obeying Christ and saying, Lord, send the right man into my life. Don't go looking. Jesus has the best man for you. He has the best woman for you. Don't go to that strip club. That's not where she is. Go to church. That's where she is. Come on, say something. Go to church. That's where she is. Put a best robe on him. You don't have children yet. You're thinking of them. Go to God. So, Lord, let whatever grows in my womb be like John the Baptist, full of the Holy Ghost before he was born. And since God is no respect of persons, what he did for Elizabeth and Zechariah in the life of their child, Holy Ghost filled in the womb, he'll do for yours. If you prayed as they prayed. Don't have a job. God says, I didn't make you to be idle. I want you to work six days and rest the seventh. Now let me get you a job. But when I get you that job, I want my money. I'm not giving you a job to steal my money. I want my money. And God will get you the right job that will allow you to serve him and take that day off as he said. I'm saying bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand. Now what does the ring mean? That is not decoration, ornamentation, outward display. Uh-uh. Now in this day in life, I don't have my pen. We use pens to sign checks. Am I right? Back then, you had a seal, you wore it on a ring. So that, that, that ring was your pen. The seal had a certain mark, and a wax tablet was brought, and you made a mark. You signed documents. The father said to the prodigal son, look, you're not on probation when you come to me. You're back in the family fully, as if you never left. You have the power to sign checks. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. The servants went barefooted, not you, you're my son. Put shoes on his feet. Bring him the, best, the, the fatted calf. Not a thin one. God, nothing God has for you is measly. Bring him the fatted calf. Go into that herd and find the best looking cow. Kill it. 
Let us celebrate the return of my son. My brothers, my sisters, what does God have in mind for you? His desire was the same desire he had for Adam. That he would live a little lower than the angels. Through sin, sometimes we live very close to animals. Where we kill each other. And the things we do in society. Solomon actually says in uh, Ecclesiastes 3.18 that man may see that he himself is a beast. But the grace of God lifts us and transforms us to a level that in that new world, while Adam was made a little lower than the angels, we shall be higher than the angels. Because no angel can sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. You and I will. I said you and I. Somebody said amen. Say amen. I expect you to be there. Because I expect you to give that life to Jesus Christ tonight. If you've already given it, renew it. If you have not yet done it, don't leave this place without fulfilling your condition. Lord, I give my life to you. Anything you tell me to do, I'll do. That's the secret of seeing miracles in the life. Let me tell you quickly, don't go there, but in John chapter 2, the Bible says, And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Verse 3, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, verse 4, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. The mother saith unto the servants, John 2, 5, Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. And what was the result? A miracle. Listen to me. The foundation for miracles in our lives is one word. What's that? Obedience. You don't need to know Greek to understand what Mary said to the servants. Now, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Does anyone know you better than your mother? Huh? Your mother knows you better than your father. She began to know you from here. The mother said, look, here's what you do. Whatever he says, do it. I am his mother. I know him. Do it. If you do it, you'll see a miracle in your life. That child of yours who left you will come back home. That husband will stop beating you. The sickness will disappear. Your mind made clear. The desires for things that were harmful will be taken away. Miracles will occur when obedience comes from the heart. A heart that God transforms by putting the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And writing the law on our heart. According to the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with them, save the Lord, with the house of Israel. After those days, save the Lord, I will put my law in their inner parts and write it. When it's on the heart, you do what's right with joy. My brothers, my sisters, take this opportunity now to say, Lord, you've got a card somewhere. Lord, I want to live the life you originally intended for me. And having heard this message, I respond to the convicting Holy Spirit. I give myself to you 
or I renew my commitment. I want to live a life of obedience. If you will say that, put a mark on that card. And I want to pray over those cards tonight. I want to live an obedient life. I want to fulfill the conditions, obedience of faith, that you may bless me and bless me and bless all those around me. Those of you who will say that by marking the card, stand up with me because I'm doing it right here in the pulpit. Recommitting the life to Jesus Christ. I want to live an obedient life. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus who came to die for us without exception, we ask you to accept us now as we give ourselves to you. We want to obey you in faith and by the abiding power of the Spirit. Lord, save us. Draw us close to your heart and let our lives lead others to you. This prayer we offer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Let all obedient people say, Amen and Amen. Mark that card. Give it to the ushers. I'll pray over it. And I'll see you tomorrow night. But for now, let me go to the door so I can greet you, my friends who've come to hear God's word. God bless you.